Hey guys, what's up? It is week 283, and I have a bunch of stuff to review for you. But first up, we're going to talk a little bit about Cinema Wasteland. Though this is going to post after the Wasteland kind of video. Um, I actually recorded some footage this time. Now, if you guys know me, I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't drink for years. I, I drank, and I don't know why I'm getting into all this. But so, Mr. Parker got a little tipsy at Cinema Wasteland, and uh, we had a blast. Uh, the 22 Shots crew was there. From the podcast I'm involved with, a lot of the people that I correspond with online, and you know, a lot of my friends that have been going there for years were there. People came from all different states, and moods came from out of country to hang out at Cinema Wasteland. Saturday night, we got crazy, recorded it. It's absolutely nonsensical, ridiculous, probably offensive footage. Um, I'm going to show it in whole uh, on Saturday. I'll put it up. But Wasteland was an absolute blast. Um, I didn't spend nearly as much. I didn't get that much. Those giant hauls, you know, I had a lot of the stuff, and I'm trying to save for the Vinegar Syndrome yearly package deal. I feel like that's more important, the best bang for the buck and everything like that. So it's not as, you know, it's only a handful of titles, to be honest, you know. Um, one time somebody told me recently, you know, that spend money on experiences, not things. And I, I'm still going to be buying a lot of movies, but I, that really resonated with me. So, you know, I cut back a little bit. Plus, money's tight. Here it is, what it is. But Cinema Wasteland was an absolute blast. I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures. Um, they, I, if you if you follow me on any of the social medias, Instagram and stuff like that, and Facebook, yeah, I was toasted. Um, we had a, it was a lot of fun though, and I regret nothing. So, let's start with the first one. From Unearth Films, it's an Unearth Classics line, the 10th in this line, and almost every one of these I've really enjoyed. And this one is no uh, different. This is a movie that I grew up with. Um, this is No Escape. Um, it did have an umbrella release called like Escape from um, Absalon or uh, along that lines. So yeah, this is actually um, uh, directed by Martin Campbell, who would go on to direct um, Goldeneye. Which is a huge picture, and I guess because this movie was actually the people who were producing it saw this, they, that's when they decided to give Martin Campbell the money. Um, so uh, besides that, there's a, an amazing cast in this film, including Ray Liotta, Ernie Hudson, Kevin Dillon, um, Stuart Wilson, um, Lance Hendrickson, Michael Lerner. I know Kevin J. Connor. It's just a fantastic cast, a lot of character actors. And, you know, um, not too fresh off of uh, Goodfellas, but Ray Liotta, he had a little bit of star power. And, and watching this, rewatching this as an adult, you know, like I said, I used to watch this movie all the time as a kid. Sci-fi action movies were my jam. Loved Arnold, loved, you know, all that kind of stuff growing up. Still love that kind of stuff. So, um, re-putting this in, I was like, Ray Liotta is such a strange choice for the cast and he talks a little bit about that um the director and some of the features he, he mentions that he wanted russell crowe and i was like that's exactly who you'd go with in this but russell crowe was you know he had romper stomper he wasn't really a household name yet so they went with somebody with the name recognition and um uh ray Liotta. so um the thing is uh Essentially, this follows a story. It's a futuristic prison, 2022, which is very funny that it actually takes place in 2022, the year we're in now, if anybody didn't notice, to, to timestamp this thing. So um, Ray Liotta is a military guy, and he murders a commanding officer, but, you know, he's the hero of the story, so he has some sort of justification for it. In fact, his story reminds me a lot of... Uh, um, Benjamin Richards from uh, The Running Man, the Arnold film, not the actual book by uh, Bachman, a.k.a. Stephen King, more so the um, 
the film. So um, essentially he gets sent to this super, you know, crazy Max prison because he's escaped a bunch of times and he doesn't make friends with the warden who's Michael Lerner right off the bat. They decide to send him to this island, which basically contains two gangs, the Outsiders and the Insiders. The Outsiders are ran by Stuart Wilson, who's an actor I don't know off the top of my head. Typically, he looks familiar. He is absolutely a hilarious bad guy, very witty, looks great. And these guys are all almost more so like violently, like tribal and just vicious. And they put Ray Liotta to the test and he passes with flying colors. They want him for their gang, but he decides to try to escape. He runs into the Insiders, which are led by Lance Hendrickson. They have Ernie Hudson, all these other people there. And they want him as well because they realize he's very useful but you know Ray Liotta wants to get off of this island that's all he has kind of a focus on and then we kind of have a lot of these kind of Mad Max storyline because we're in like this off the like an island in Australia or in Australia so it's like a beautiful location right um, but you know, it's not like the desert that Mad Max would be, but it's very similar. You know, we have this kind of old school, like fighting versus these outsiders trying to get in and we have some good fight scenes, some violent fight scenes, some solid characters. And the action is actually tremendous. The action is probably the strongest point of the movie. The acting is solid as well. Michael Lerner's got a lot of good lines. Very funny that one of the speeches in this, I remember, I know, laugh, laugh, laugh. I was young at this time, but Godsmack had a song, Moon Baby, and, uh, it opened with Michael Lerner's speech. Society has no more for their use for you. This will be your holding ground. That whole big speech there. Michael Lerner is a great actor too. Um, people might recognize him from Barton Fink um, and Anguish, which I still need to watch Anguish, but Barton Fink is a big one. So uh, yeah, essentially he basically is watching and pulling the strings and doing all sorts of dirty things. And uh, yeah, it, it's just a big battle survival movie. It runs a little long, but I didn't never I never noticed the runtime. When I was a kid, this was an HBO film. Like this is one of the HBO films along with Surviving the Game and Night Flyer and Hitcher. And those movies were all very strong and very entertaining and just good stuff. Citizen, um, what was the one? Um, what was the one with Nick Nolte? I, I don't think it. Mother, Mother, was that one? I maybe not. Maybe, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so like all those movies are very strong, and I always love those four. I, I watch them all the time, and No Escape was no different. So, uh, yeah, if you guys have never seen this movie, I'd really recommend checking it out. Now, uh, some of the reviews on Letterboxd were a little harsh, more harsh than I expected, because, you know, like I said, I've seen this one a bunch of times, so I was like, oh, that's a classic. But it's very gory and very violent, and like like I said, this is like kind of like uh, uh, just a cast that anyone would love, right, looking at there, and, and the director, too. So this was actually made in 1993. I wanted to double-check. So the special features here, Survival of the Fittest, directing No Escape. That's an interview with Martin Campbell where he talks about getting, you know, the actors ready and getting the stuff and running out of money, all this kind of shit. A new interview with filmmaker Martin Campbell. Um, welcome to the future of the sci-fi worlds of Gale and Heard. And this is, I believe, the writer of the story, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, she talks a little bit, or she's a set designer. There's like a couple on here where they go in elaborate. Oh, and the producer, Gale Ann Heard. Yeah, so she does that both. She talks a lot about getting this worked and all this kind of stuff, working on with Cameron and all these big names. It's very interesting. Penal Colony, writing No Escape. This guy talks about how, you know, what he wrote necessarily wasn't on the screen. The dialogue changed, all this kind of stuff. And then we have new interview with co-writer Joel Gross, making of No Escape, vintage featurette, alternate intro, promotional, promotional, promotional gallery, original theatrical trailer on TV spot. So it's got quite a bit. I thought it looked really solid. I thought it sounded really good. Um, just a violent um, dystopian future movie, which I feel like we all like to some extent, right? Um, check it out. No Escape.
Okay, the next one up is from the MVD Rewind Collection. This is from 1998. And believe it or not, you know, this was a time when I was kind of a, a snooty uh, 12-year-old and I liked the old school horror movies, you know. Anything that was like kind of like a rip off a scream or something like that, I wasn't going to give it to day and time. So this is disturbing behavior. And I must have thought this one was a rip off of scream of some sorts. So uh, this one is a first time watch. And believe it or not, I really enjoyed this one. So um, it has a really good cast, like for the time uh, or or like a couple years later, people like, Oh, I can't believe all those people are in this movie. So before I forget, you got James Mars and Katie Holmes, who's from Toledo, Ohio, which is where I'm from. Nick Stahl, who was an underrated actor for his time. William Sadler's in here. Steve Railsback's in here. Bruce Greenwood, I believe, is the other guy who's uh, the kind of the baddie in here. So disturbing behavior. It, it's it's a body snatcher style story, which I love. Um, a lot of people would compare this to Strange Behavior, aka Dead Kids, the Aussie film, and there's definitely some similarities, no doubt. Um, that one's from the '80s, though. So what basically happens here is in the very opening we have like this uh, high school football player. He's very popular and he murders this girl. Um, cops catch him, but he kills one of the cops. The other cop covers it up while Nick Stahl is watching uh, from a distance. He's kind of an outsider kid. So, like, they set this whole weird world up right away. His eyes go red. So, you know, something's not right. Now we're going to have, you know, basically a new kid move in, and we're going to be from his point of view a little bit. He befriends Nick Stahl, and Nick Stahl starts to tell him that this place isn't right. And and right from the get-go, you can tell it's not right. There's a secret society called the Blue Ribbons, and they're all, like, elitist assholes that don't drink, that do fundraisers, but they have a violent mean streak, especially when it comes comes to their sexual arousal after that they kind of snap so we have this quiet quaint small town setting that is fairly good I, I think they did that really well you know it does call back to maybe like you know uh the 80s versions of small towns i felt like it was there i felt like it, it captured that a little bit but it feels very much also like that kevin williamson style film of the time you know the the needle drops the the clothing the casting all that kind of stuff so it, it feels like a, a mixture of old school maybe like 50s mentality like when they did the 80s style, the 50s, mixed with that 90s set, you know, all that kind of stuff. William Sadler's absolutely bonkers in here. He's doing like a Brad Dora from Graveyard Shift, um, and he's really weird and goofy and funny. Railsback is such a strange actor for me. He's always just always, he's cast well in this, but every once in a while he's sorely miscast, and I'm just like, what? Railsback is an odd actor. I do not know what the fuck is going on with Steve Railsback. Let's be honest. Does anybody? Don't dislike him. Like him, but he's a weird actor. Um, and, you know, Bruce Greenwood, the villain, the main baddie of it's really good. Soon enough, you know the group of friends find out what's going on and it's darker than you think people die um in violent ways and i kind of liked it uh the, the ending and stuff this is just much better than expected it has 5.1 surround sound really good loud surround sound good stuff mixed well um so i decided to watch the deleted scenes which seem to be really the only comment the special fiends on there the, the special features on there with along with the audio commentary so the deleted scenes add so much character development they change everything there's alternate endings like literally these characters, like the father of James Marsden, um, and, and you know William Sadler, and, and they have all these moments of, and Steve Railsback, they have like a good like monologue or a good scene to kind of explain their character or explain the city all along, and they're cut. And I'm just like, I love the short runtime, but at the same time, like seeing those deleted scenes help with context and made it just seem like a little bit more enriching, you know, film. So I actually really like Disturbing Behavior, and this is a movie that I would like, I'm not going to give that the time and day, but I guess I was completely wrong. Disturbing Behavior is pretty good stuff. Okay, so the next up is from Full Moon Entertainment. This is a movie I had covered on here before on Blu-ray, but now we're talking 4K. This is the 4K debut of Full Moon, and this is the 4K debut of Trancers, of course, directed by Charles Band himself. Now, this stars, if nobody's familiar with the Trancers series, I believe there's six feature films, and there's one short that was uncompleted that is actually on here. So, uh, Trancers was made, what, what was this, the late 80s or early 
early 90s was the initial transfers. 84 production day, I feel like it came out, you know. Yeah, that's about sounds about right. Because then we have like some of the sequels maybe that coming out in the 90s and everything like that. So I've seen the first five Transfers films and I um, enjoyed the first three. The, the fourth and fifth are a little too much for me. But Transfers 1, let me say this about Transfers 1. Um, it is about as good as a direct-to-video sci-fi low-budget movie can be. And I mean that as an utmost compliment. This is like old school Full Moon. When Full Moon was at the top of their game with stuff like Puppet Master and Subspecies and Demonic Toys. All those movies for the budget and, and stuff like that, like direct-to-video, it's it's really hard to shit on them. Because for what they are, it, it, they're kind of the, the best. And, and Trancers is the best, of, one of the best of the bunch, hands down. Um, Tim Thomerson stars. Um, Tim Thomerson is it's almost like, and I don't mean this as an insult, you know, Bruce Campbell is kind of like the king of the B-movies, right? I feel like Tim Thomerson is the next guy in line. Or like, I don't want to say second-rate Bruce Campbell because it seems like an insult. And that's not what I mean by it. I do feel like Tim Thomerson has that same kind of Bruce Campbell energy. Maybe not as high, but Tim Thomerson's a very funny guy. He's very energetic. He plays into the roles. And he's this, like, hard-boiled detective in the future where these things called trancers that are basically brainwashed zombies that kill and kill and they listen to their master so this is a time travel movie and they have to send tim thomerson or um, jack death d-e-t-h back down the line where to stop you know the um the ancestor of you know the villain so that's kind of what we do here and he jumps back through time we have a good fish out of water story which is comical art lafleur is this commanding officer that jumps back through time as a little girl because you have to have an ancestor to do it um and you know it's a lot of fun helen hunt is the love interest and this is an early film for helen hunt she's she's solid in it and you know the back and forth between him and tim thomerson is fun there's a great christmas scene with a santa claus that is tranced and he turns into a trancer it's just a fun solid b movie it's really hard to put put it down as far as the 4k is concerned i thought it looked fairly solid i can't really directly compare it um you know because transfers is a movie that i've only seen one other time besides this you know i really should have done a a comparison there but there's hdr on it and i was happy with it i was happy with the the sound mix and stuff no like um real hard complaints about it or not i'm probably not the best person to talk about the details on transfers or because you know stuff like zombie or new york ripper i've seen in in tons and tons of editions and like stuff like that i feel like it made a major uh, uh, uptick so like um, this one, I thought it looked solid. I, I had no real complaints. I know a lot of people, you know, sometimes will get mad and call, call quality control with uh, Full Moon, especially on their Euro releases and stuff like that. But so we have a commentary Charles Brandon, Tim Thomerson, complete short film, Transfer City of the Lost Angels, Transfer's video essay, in the making of Transfer's documentary, original trailer, archival interviews, and still gallery. So if you're a fan of uh, Transfer's, uh, the futuristic stuff looks all excellent. And, you know, it's, it's an LA movie too, so there's a lot of like LA locations. I think Transfer's, Transfer's is a lot of fun, and I would really recommend checking it out for sci-fi action buffs for sure okay the next one up is from wild eye and this is a contemporary release maybe i think came in 2018 but uh, getting a wider release on physical here this is death to metal and you know that that screams to horror fans horror fans love you know they love gore a lot of i'm not saying all horror fans there's a million different horror fans but in general you know horror fans that are into the metal there tend to be a lot of gore horror fans you know so this is like just definitely made for them right it's a it's a more low budget deathgasm in that kind of vein i would say to a certain extent so what we have here is also a movie that has a lot of like uh things to say about religious fanaticism which is very funny um with the death metal kind of thing going on as well so um we have this re- this extra um you know 
I would say, violent and angry priest who is, you know, very negative. He's the one that says, we're all going to hell, that kind of thing. And he's kicked out of his church, and on the way home, after he has, uh, um, you know, kind of turns to the evil side, does something bad, he crashes into, uh, you know, a truck that's carrying a bunch of toxic waste. Right out of a trauma movie or something like that, right? So what happens is, the guy is mutated into what he believes, like an arm of God. He's mutated and super strong, and he's going to go around and kill anybody that's disrespecting the word of God and his main focus is metalheads because something that happened to him at a young age so he goes around and he slaughters a lot of metalheads in gory detail a lot of the deaths are fun and gory some are a little off screen doesn't matter there's abundance I feel like this movie might be uh, in the running for most kills it's probably it could be named I mean there's going to be obviously some heavy hitters but in recent years this movie kills a lot of fucking people especially in the slasher over over 30 people probably 25 30 people um, and probably at least 20 on screen kills which is uh, which is huge exorbitant amount of kills um they they cram in a lot of nudity and there's like the whole metal angle so our main character kind of really in this film is uh, um a metal guy who used to be in a band he knows the church he used to go there he kind of still goes there but he got kicked out of the band his girlfriend broke up with him and he's kind of on the dumps he ends up going to like the battle of the bands where this big concert's going to be where his band's performing um and he, of course you know he's going to show up there the mutated priest and it all works out for him kind of sort of a lot of people die there's a big slaughter scene at the very end so you see what I'm getting at here. So, like, people that are big fans of heavy metal and horror and gore and low-budget horror films, they'll love this. This is totally made for them. Um, you know, some of the humor lands, some doesn't land. It's all up to, you know, the, the person watching. Humor is a very subjective thing, so you never know what's going to land and what's not going to land. Um, I enjoyed it for the most part. It's not typically 100% my thing. I'm not into, like, modern metal at all. You know, I, I'm going to show my age here. You know, I like Metallica, old-school Metallica. A lot of people are going to be like, what day? I mean, like, they'll be like, Megan, that's better. I was like, I don't give a fuck i like what i like i'm not getting into politics of it but so you know like this is not necessarily my my movie my music scene but i'm not going to hate on the movie for that i did enjoy deathgasm as well although this is much more low budget and i think that deathgasm works better personally but i think this works a lot better than i thought it would work death to metal um and, and it has a decent budget you know I, i'm not I'm, it is low budget but i'm not saying this isn't like you know a lot of the backyards sov movies that i watch this has a little bit more money put to it than that of course you know it's a very um competent low budget movie i'll put it at that you know i mean there's some obvious mistakes but not like anything blatant in some of the stuff i see so there's some special features behind the scenes video music video grandma incinerator um end of the elderly indiegogo fundraising video behind the scenes image gallery death to metal drinking game 5.1 surround and the sounds pretty damn good on this so this is death to metal by wild eye check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley okay the next one here is from the visual vengeance line from wild eye and i've been liking what they're doing here this is the sixth there's a seventh one coming too. So the sixth one here is Blood of the Chupacabras from 2003. And it also has its uh, sequel, Revenge of the Chupacabras here from 2005, if I'm not mistaken. So, okay, I didn't know much about this one. Um, it is an SOV, I believe, from this time. Yeah, SD Masters from Original Tapes. Um, from 2003, it's a little late in the game. You know, it's definitely one that they said took them five years to make on the commentary. And so we go Blood of the Chupacabras. All right, so the first thing I noticed was that um, for an SOV film that's independent, um, you know, that wasn't made, like, directly for the market, and the VHS is, like, Boarding House, I mean, it's, like, Sledgehammer or 555 or Blood Cult. Blood Cult and 555, I feel like they had, like, the lighting and technical stuff that looked kind of like a movie, except it was SOV, so it held them back. But you know what I mean. Like, this one, it does have some decent camera work. I thought like some of the shots in here were a little bit more professional than you would expect from an independent SOV movie, for sure. Made in the release in 2003, especially. So, uh, Blood of the Chupacabras. 
essentially what we have here is it's fairly bloodless. There's not much blood in here. There's not much gore in here. Um, and the CGI, although they keep the CGI to a minimum here, you barely see the monster. He's more in the background, which is much appreciated because the monster is very dated, very MS paint, very bottom of the barrel CGI. It's not good CGI. It's, it's from a product of its time. And, you know, this storyline is a lot like Suburban Sasquatch, right? In a lot of aspects where we have these characters all trying to find this kind of suburban scat. This time it's a chupacabra, including a reporter. There's a reporter angle on here. There's an old guy who's been haunted by the chupacabra looking for some gold. That's well, looking for the chupacabra. There's people rumored to be looking for the cave to find the gold. And of course, they're all going to run into the end in the cave at the end and face off the chupacabra. What I thought was kind of interesting about this one in general that separates it from other kind of like cryptozoology movies and stuff like that. Crypto, is that, is that the term cryptozoology? Whatever the fuck, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, all those kind of um, animals that people believe exist that possibly don't exist, most likely, whatever. It doesn't matter what I think. But essentially, so what sets it apart is that the mythology they create, you know, they create him as um, the Chupacabra, as more of a vampire figure. They do call it a vampire that feeds on, you know, uh, sheep and stuff like that, which I know is in the, the, the kind of thing there. But they paint him more as a vampire than you would more like a dog-like vampire creature. He's more of a stand-on-your-two-legs vampire, and they mix in this other mythology, like a, a, a character. And there was a twist at the end, which I didn't see coming i don't I, I guess i wasn't looking for a twist but there is one and i was like oh wow there's a twist in this movie that's kind of kind of neat um the acting ranges right i mean you're not going to get any high caliber acting in a lot of sov movies especially independent sov movies that are made on a shoestring budget um I've seen much worse acting. Um, some of the acting, I guess, is okay. It's passable for this kind of thing. Um, as a whole, there is a couple decent moments. The morgue scene I thought was pretty cool. I thought that that came out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere in a negative way, but I was like, oh, wow, this is a shot a little better. I thought that the camera moved in certain ways that looked a little bit more professional than I actually expected. But as a whole, it is a very low-budget you know, SOV. It's bloodless. It doesn't have much nudity. Um, the mythology for it is solid, and it does have a good regional feel to it. But in the, but the end, I I don't know if I can give this a wholehearted recommend. I think a lot of people will laugh hysterically at the CGI um, because just the dated nature of it. As far as the sequel is concerned, I'm not going to give it a full review. Revenge of Chupacabras. After you watch Blood, I think that Revenge is just a lot. To, you know, I mean, like two Chupacabra movies that are dirt cheap. I think that Blood is a better film. Now, maybe not technically. I think it is technically as well. I think the editing in Revenge is a little sloppier, a little bit more, you know, iffy. Uh, but the storyline in Revenge is more of a kidnapping storyline with a chupacabra added in to the to the kind of mist in the background. He is involved with, you know, like a psychiatric place and all this kind of mix and all these characters coming together. But the CGI in this one is unforgivable. It's 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 full full. It's front and center. It's unbearably bad. I have to be honest. And I know that a lot of people like to watch really like dated CGI movies, like the the sci-fi shark movie and stuff like that and they get a kick out of it that's not my mo you know i'm not even a mystery science theater guy that's not something that i want to sit back and laugh at movies you know typically occasionally a movie will strike my funny bone because it's so ridiculous but i don't seek it out it's not my thing so i maybe some people will appreciate this because it has a creature feature element but um i think the acting is worse in this one i think that the regional quality is not there as much in this one i think that the cgi is worse in this one personally i would prefer blood of the chupacabras over revenge of the chupacabras but hey it's a bonus feature so it's a free movie 
movie on here. So take it take it if you want. So there's commentary on both movies. There's blooper reel uh, on both movies. And then the first one has New York International Film and Video Festival. Tells do breaking down the special effects. West Coast premiere. And then the uh, the Revenge has archival documentary fleshing out the monster effects. Featurette, um, the theatrical Super 8 millimeter short. Professor Bloodgood is on here as well. So I do dig what they're doing here. These collector's editions of SOV and dirt cheap movies that um, Visual Vengeance is putting out. The next one, Moonchild by Todd Sheets. I've actually covered for 1994. So this is a new version, a new improved version. So I'd like to check that out after. For sure, maybe next week we'll, we'll check out some Moonchild. Okay, the next one here is from Mondo Macabro. Um, and this is Love Brides of the Blood Mummy. That is a mouthful, right? 1973, which is a great year in horror. You have stuff like The Exorcist. You have, um, geez, uh, Messiah of Evil, The Crazies. You got a lot of great stuff. Don't look now. Wicker Man. So just classic films, great films. So um, Love, what is it? Uh, I got to double check. Love Brides of the Blood Mummy. Like, again, Mouthful, a.k.a. Lips of Blood, which is also a John Roland film. Do not confuse them. So um, this one was strange to me. So I put this in, and I immediately recognized, oh, this is really well shot. Like, it, it looks beautiful. The music is very solid, very professional, beautiful countryside. This is a Spanish and French co-production, so Euro horror all the way through. I was like, this looks very cool. So we kind of follow this, This uh, I believe, he, I don't know what his title is, but he's looking to kind of discover, you know, and do some research on some things. So he, he's going to this castle, and everybody warns him, basically, straight out of Count Dracula, or Bram Stoker's Dracula, the novel, don't go there. You don't want to go there. It's no good. People are being kind of like, you know, really tight-lipped at the same time. So eventually he gets there, and and um, it, it kind of reminds me of, what is that, um, Savage Hunt over uh, King Star, which I covered for 1980, where like he gets there and he wants to do some research and he meets the eccentric owner and the eccentric owner tells him, yes, I do have this mummy. Um, and he starts to tell him this elaborate backstory, which is like 30 minutes, 40 minutes of the movie. If I'm not mistaken, it feels like the entire movie. He tells him this story that he got this coffin, he opened this coffin, and like, See, like, it's so strange to me that this movie is a mummy film, which is rare. There's not that many mummy films, but it doesn't play out like a mummy movie. It plays out exactly like a vampire film. So, like, it's bizarre. Like, it's so bizarre. And it hits all these gothic tropes, of course, right? Um, and it has, like, such a good idea, like, the guy telling the story, which it feels to me always like a Lovecraftian angle where, like, you'll somebody will tell you an insane story and you're listening. And it'll, like, that kind of feel always that kind of feel that way. And it makes, like, a good mystery unknown. It doesn't necessarily work in this one for me. Like, they start to go through the story and, and there's two versions on here there's the horror version and the one that's like four minutes longer has extended sex scenes and everything like that which are are nice i guess you know if you're into the extended sex scenes so and the, the the so basically what we have is this mummy is brought back to life he resurrects this mummy and it doesn't look like a mummy he's not wrapped in and sheets he looks like you know just some french or spanish guy that they want to look egyptian with like a, a straight line big haircut or something wearing a wig and he picks up grabs women and and strips them down has sex with them and bites their necks drinks their blood so it's not really a mummy movie <laughs> to be honest um i don't want to be too negative on the movie because um Basically, the mummy puts like the guy's uh, helper under his control, and and that guy ends up having a lot of like fight scenes and choreographed fight scenes. And this is some of the worst fight choreographing I've seen. Like this is bad. Like for high how high caliber the movie is shot and how beautiful it looks with the music, it's really poorly choreographed. Like this guy must have been like an artist and not like you know he didn't know much about stunts or anything, or maybe that actor couldn't do anything because I was very uh, very like flabbergasted how bad the fight scenes were. It was like that Lost uh, City movie where we have. Um, 
uh, is it Woody Strode and uh, Harold Takata fight, and it's just the worst fight. Like it's like this, like it, it's just trash fighting, and, and so there's blood and nudity, and there's a beautiful like looking film and a location and stuff like that. But it feels a little dull and repetitive for me. I never quite got into it. The commentary is nice to hear because this guy has a deep love for the film, and he talks about the history of the film, and he talks about all the you know gothic like things like that. So if you enjoy the film, it's definitely worth the pickup, and it is a very rare film. It's a film that I did not know much about. In until Mondo Macabro put out, and I still don't know all that much about it. So it's still very cool to have it and see it and kind of like look at it as a curio, but it's not really going to win me over that much. I didn't love Love Brides of the Blood Mummy. I'm sorry. Okay, I have a couple 2021 watches for you. I'll be really brief with these. The first one up is Glorious, directed by Rebecca McKendry. It is on Shudder. So Rebecca McKendry, she's part of a bunch of podcasts I listen to. I really like her voice. She's highly intelligent. She did All, all the Creatures Are Stirring and a couple other films. All the Creatures Are Stirring I watched, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty decent. Anthology, you know, you like some stories, you don't like other ones. You know, mixed bag, like all anthologies nowadays. Um... So this one, uh, Glorious, it, it definitely sounded right up my alley. It had Lovecraftian angles, had the voice of J.K. Simmons, who's an excellent actor, Vern Schillinger from Oz. And, of course, you know, he's in the Spider-Man movies and stuff like that. So what we have here is a very desperate man who's running. He's falling asleep, so he decides to stop at this rest stop. Um and he walks in. He's obviously messed up. He has a bender, drinks, burns a bunch of stuff. He's, he's a troubled man. Seems like he's going through a hard breakthrough. Goes in this bathroom. And after he goes in, he's pretty much stuck in this bathroom the entire film. There's a voice talking to him. And there's a glory hole there. And the glory hole has a painting of like some weird kind of what you would say is a Lovecraftian creature. Like a yog soghoth or some shit like that. I probably said that wrong. And essentially... So he, he starts to talk to this thing and, and it starts to get in his head, you know, psychologically and say, starts saying weird things that only, you know, an entity or a god would know or a demigod. And as it goes on, of course, he's he's kind of put into this crazy world where he starts to lose his grip on reality. But at the same time, you know, this thing reveals itself more and more and more. So as far as a low budget horror film is concerned, this is definitely how you do it because it's confined. You have two actors, three actors, four actors in the entire thing. They do a very good job because they have to carry this entire movie. As far as this digital effects, they're decent. They're OK. The practical effects are solid. Um, it's more of just put on the shoulders of these two actors and they do a good job um for me i I don't want to be negative because i really like rebecca mckendry's podcast but um and i like this movie i do think it's a good movie and definitely worth the watch people you know mileage will vary for people and i enjoyed it i just felt like i had seen this a couple times before which is not a a negative you know i've seen a million slashers and i enjoyed them i've seen a million zombies enjoyed them but for this something so you know niche and small of, of a category you know the idea that were a person trapped in one agor a person trapped in one area. I don't want to say agoraphobia because that's the other movie I'm thinking of. But they're trapped in this one area and they're having a conversation as some sort of parasitic or god creature or mental games, all this kind of stuff. I've seen this done a couple times before. Now is this do it better in certain places? Yes. I feel like the color scheme at times is inspired by, you know, the uh Stuart Gordon style Lovecraft, you know, from beyond reanimator, the most of from beyond the bright colors. But um something like motivational growth with the voice of Jeffrey Combs is very similar to this movie, except, you know, I, the different kind of streaks of humor while one's more of absurdist and this is more dark, I would say humor. Um, I do think glorious is worth watching. I think it's, it's worth your time. It's short. It gets to the point. It's funny. The reveal for me was pretty obvious. Like I knew that it was going to be a reveal like that just because it is what it is. J.K. Simmons is always great. So check out Glorious. It's on Shutter. You could do a lot worse. And a lot of people are digging it a lot more than me. So maybe I'm just being a little bit more harsh with the 2022 watches. I, can be guilty of that, I will admit.
So next up for the 2022 watches is Mad God by Phil Tippett. Phil Tippett is like a premier special effects guy. He did stop motion. He does all sorts of things. He's just kind of like a genius. He worked on Jurassic Park, worked on tons of movies, probably RoboCop, I believe. So there's a documentary about him a, a, a couple years back where you just kind of get into what he does. And this dude is a master. So Mad God has been coming out for like five to seven years. I can't remember. He's been working on this thing. And I don't know how to go about Mad God. I don't even know if I liked Mad God, but Mad God is a feat. It is a fucking feat. So it is super epic. It's a lot of stop motion, lots of different kinds of animation in here. It's just an amazing live action. Everything mixed in, miniatures. It's just bizarre and weird and different. It's a dystopian world of misery. And the one thing I took away from uh, Mad God is that Phil Tippett does not have a good outlook on humanity. And I don't necessarily blame him, to be honest. So it's, it's, a, it's a world where life is cheap. You're just molded into a, a slave and then you're stomped on and your parts are used to be molded into another slave. The, the, the people in charge are cruel. They destroy for fun, sometimes for education, but mostly for fun. And once, It just seems like a very brutal, disgusting world. And within 10 minutes, I was like, I feel ill. I feel like I've had enough of this. It's like the darkest, most disturbing parts from Pink Floyd's The Wall, the film, and just like an hour and 25 minutes of that. And like, I know people like, that's a, that's a, like a, a great thing to say right there. And yes, it is. Like I'm saying, this is an amazing feat, but I just don't know how many more times I could take this on a second viewing. Maybe I'll have some more appreciation for it, but I felt kind of like sick to my stomach during most of this fucking thing. And I don't mean that as an insult. Like the animation is brilliant. Um, the monsters are brilliant. It's just it's just horrible thing after horrible thing after horrible thing. And it just never stops. It just never stops. It just beats you down into a point of submission. It, it's gross. It's, it's, you know, very disturbing and just very bleak, almost too bleak for its own good. And the strange animation, it's just, uh, it's, it, it's, although it's brilliant, it's unpleasant on the fucking eyes for me. And, and I give this a recommend, um, and I think people will either love this or they'll just be turned off by it. I I appreciate the fuck out of it, but I don't know how I truly feel about the thing. It is it's crazy. It's on Shutter as well. It's called Mad God. Okay, this next one I'll be fairly quick with. It is Landmine Goes Click, and we're going to do this on 22 Shots, so why get into depth with it? So basically, Landmine Goes Click. Now everybody remembers this was JP's like number one from like five years, six years ago or something like that. Nobody saw the fucking thing. So Landmine Goes Click is an hour and 44 minute long, kind of low budget movie, independent movie. I was like, that's a bit long for this kind of thing. So we have a group of three, uh, a fiance and her husband, basically, um, and uh, a best friend of the, the you know, the, the, the husband fiance and husband you guys know what i mean a, a soon to be married couple and a friend so they're they're walking through a, i can't think eastern european country and uh it's a lot of drone shots a lot of beautiful landscapes and they're talking and you get to know them a little bit and then one accidentally steps on a landmine and uh they can't move they're trapped there and uh eventually what happens is another figure comes along and complicates everything and there's some reveals and some things about their history that are put out in the open and it changes everything and and people are really dark this is a movie that's very you know it, it talks a lot about toxic masculinity about a revenge angle about the ownership the possessiveness the weirdness all about it it's really dark and really nasty look at humanity um and the movie to me felt slightly repetitive at times but there's two beats in this movie that I thought, now those winning, those those beats are winning me over. And there's two moments that really, truly, the reveal of something that I thought was great. And the very ending, the very ending, this director or writer 
understood revenge, I believe. I, I feel like at least in terms of cinema revenge, right? And the way they decide to shoot it, the way they hold the camera on it, it was a brilliant scene. And that that makes up for any downfall I had in the, the, the runtime or maybe every once in a while some shaky dialogue delivery. But for the whole part, you know, the whole, I thought it was pretty good. And as Landmine goes click, sorry for the quick review. If you want an in-depth one, we'll talk about it in 22 Shots of Boots and Horror. Our first episode back, I believe. Okay, we're going to have a double here, and I'm going to do them together. One is the Patreon pick. So this is the Patreon pick, and it happens to be the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. We got two here. Let's do the Patreon pick first, and this is a double feature here. This is two Spanish, uh, or is it Mexican? They might actually be Mexican. Yeah, Rene Cardona Jr. is Mexican. So two uh, Mexican um, westerns. So this is awesome. We have Hot Snake. Hot Snake is the Patreon pick. I can't remember exactly who picked it. Um, oh, it was, um, geez, Travis Linscombe. I know somebody else picked it for the Patreon pick, so if you, that name gets drawn out later, we'll just deal with it then. I think it was actually John Williams. So basically, Hot Snake. Hot Snake is uh, a mean-spirited Western with some horror um, kind of tropes and everything like that. So I don't know how to go about this. movie's pretty wild. In the very beginning, we have a real brutal murder and rape, which is like disgusting as hell. We have this awful convict um, who's just a miserable piece of shit. And basically what happens is we have a bounty hunter track him down, and things get even more complicated and weird after that. Then we have somebody looking for this bounty hunter, mysterious past every once in a while. I, I don't have too much to say about this movie, to be honest. And I know that's unfortunate, but uh, it's just a wild movie. So basically he hunts them down and, and we start to see that these characters have a history together and it's revealed bit by bit by bit. But the cool thing about this one is like a high plane drifter. There's definitely a supernatural kind of creepy element about the entire thing. So we have a dead criminal that is constantly used as like a haunting figure on a horse. How do you get there? And, and as it goes on, you know, you can't beat this person maybe by speed, but maybe you can psychologically damage them enough to where you can't. 
and we start to get in these head games and mind games and all this kind of stuff. And it's just an ungodly dark movie that is bleak. And I feel like there is a major supernatural element to it, which makes it a rarity when it comes to a lot of these old school Westerns. There's only a handful of the supernatural elements in there. I believe the one by Sergio Garoni and, you know, High Plains Drifter and stuff like that. Um, but this one, for sure, it has like the elements there. And what was the other one? Jeez, I can't remember with the with the, uh, the church bell, which is really cool. But this one has a big one. And a hot snake, it obviously refers to a snake in here. There is some animal cruelty, you know, a lot of snakes being killed, which if that's going to turn you off. For the most part, I, I thought this was really good. And I thought that the supernatural elements what made it stand out. And the overall brutality and meat spiritedness as well. It looked great. It sounded great from Vinegar Syndrome. This double feature was top notch. So we're getting into the second part of this Western double feature, and it is Guns and Guts by Rene Cardona Jr. And uh, you guys may have known this is not the first time this movie has appeared on my channel. I didn't get the chance to watch it, but on Harry Collins' Secret Top 10, Gory Westerns, he did Guns and Guts. And uh, Guns and Guts is way up my alley. You know, it definitely has an old school kind of, you know, uh, wild bunch kind of shootout at the end, which... I shouldn't have spoiled because it comes out of there as a big surprise and it's awesome. So what we have here is this convict who is searching for somebody. He wants to kill them. He meets up with another individual who says, we have the same enemy. Let's work together. And eventually they run into a third guy who seems to be this playboy who, you know, he's a hired gun. He's a, he's a pimp and he just loves women. He's like this suave, good looking guy. He can fight. And these three team up. They're going to pay him to help them out. So essentially it's just their escapades until they find their target. And their target happens to be somebody who's really powerful and really scary. And um, somebody that you would need a Wild Bunch style ending to take out. Let's leave it at that. So um, the characters are all really interesting. And as it goes on, they get more interesting. They get more reveals. And you all figure out why they're doing what they do. Um, there's a couple twists in here, which I loved. And to be honest, the fight scene in here is top notch. It's a long brawled out fight scene unfortunately i can't really find clips of these movies just a shitty clip of this one and the fight scene so there's not high quality ones not like the blu-ray but yeah it's really a good fight scene a lot of funny dialogue a uh, fair amount of nudity and sex and so this one's really good like this is a really entertaining wild wild western and the ending not up to snuff with the wild bunch but there's never been a shootout to ever give the wild bunch a run for its money you're not even Extreme Prejudice by Walter Hill, although it, it tries very hard. It's still great, but it's not as good as The Wild Bunch. Neither is the ending of Guns and Guts. But uh, for being such a dark, nihilistic movie, i got to give it props. For having such a crazy shootout, for having you know so many people die, and, and just the way it unfolds, and all this kind of stuff, I was really happy with it. I, I thought it was quite brilliant. Um, there's not too many features on this disc. Um, there's just an interview with Ray Cardona Jr., which is unfortunate. Um, so yeah, um, the third that is his grandson. See, the, see, in Mexico there was like a family, Rene, the Cardonas, and like I made the joke when he did the gory westerns. I was like, and he said it's Mexico. I was like, well, it's got to be directed by one of the Cardonas, right? And he's like, I don't know. And then like three of his movies were directed by Cardonas, you know, because they're super prolific. They, you know, they did stuff like Night of the Bloody Apes, which made the video nasty list. I don't remember which one. Maybe that's Junior or Senior. I don't remember which one did what. Probably Junior. And then like they did some of the Santo films. So like. If it comes from Mexico, the odds are that one of the Cardonas did it. If it made it to America, that, that's that I, I'm willing to place a bet fifty percent that if you've seen a Mexican film from you know nineteen fucking fifty to like nineteen ninety, one of the Cardonas did it. So uh, Hot Snake and Guns and Guts. I prefer Guns and Guts, but Hot Snake is more probably the more interesting one for a lot of people because of the horror elements. But uh, both are cool. Great release by Vinegar Syndrome. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. All right, we're here for another Universal. 
And this time it is The Cat and the Canary from 1927, another silent film. And uh, the director actually went on to do The Man Who Laughs, which will be next week's film. The Man Who Laughs and The Cat and the Canary, I think, both have kind of name recognition. Um, the Cat and the Canary has been remade a few times, I think one of which, ver- one of the versions is lost, maybe the 1939 version, which was initially on the list, but obviously can't find it, so it's lost. And uh, yeah, you know, this is very much like an old Dark House kind of style movie, you know, old haunted house, gaslighting. Um, it also is a comedy, a lot of comedy, especially in visual gags, mm-hmm. reminded me of stuff like Arsenic and Old Lace, and um, the Hammer version of Old Dark House, and again, a very gothic story here, so uh, more modern films that would be like Knives Out or something like that, but a gothic horror in this kind of vein is sprinkled throughout the history of film, especially horror and even Italian films and jollies, all these kind of things. It's very much, uh, I don't want to say a precursor to everything you've ever seen. Um, so saying that the cat and the canary is very much something that you've probably already seen redone a million times. It was probably done before this a million times in books like Agatha Christie's, all this kind of stuff and stage plays. So essentially what we have is a, um, kind of a supposedly crazy person dies and, uh, their will says 20 years later, they open everything up and they basically get their inheritance, but he does not care for his family. So they all show up to get to find out what's going on. And uh, boom, so they left it to a distant relative. All the other relatives are mad. At the same time, uh, a supposed mental patient has escaped from the hospital, and there's weird going-ons about the house. It it does remind me more, so I say Clue, actually. Clue has the kind of fun kind of spirit as well. Um, The only problem for this one, to me, is because I've seen it done a million times, it had somewhat of a repetitive kind of streak in it, but... uh, it was, it was fun, it was clever, and it had some good... You know, I would say some genuine scares for the time, 1927. Think about it. So Yeah, um, so one of the caveats of the of the will is, is you know, it's going to go to this person, but um, if they are deemed insane, then it's <laughs> going to go to somebody else. And so, hey, we're all going to stay the night in, in our crazy uncle's old manor that may or may not be haunted by as a ghost with a escaped lunatic killer, and... Um, may- Maybe we'll uh, prove that person crazy and then get the money ourselves. Um, yeah, so people go missing. There's hijinks. Um, you know, there, there's a bunch of slapstick, like you know, like like a guy hiding under a bed watching women undress. Like yeah. it's it's you know it's it's a very typical, I, I guess, kind of story. But but again, it, it, it's not because it's. Is this the first time they've added an element of actual slapstick stuff so far in these movies? I feel like there's comedy somewhat in Hunchback and Phantom, but it feels natural and not slapstick. No, but, uh, this, not broad. This you know? feels like it's actually like a comedy. A comedy, yeah. yeah. And I'd say it's probably more like a, like a dark comedy. Yeah. Um, there's you know some, obviously some you know some scary stuff going on, like hands and missing passages, dead bodies. And the one guy, some of the characters look very creepy and bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they got the you know the old silent makeup on, so half the people look identical, which is not a plus when you first initially see the characters. Right. You know, without with the lack of anybody speaking. Um, Having characters that look similar can get kind of confusing because it's in black and white. Especially same outfits and things right, like that. Right, sa- same outfits. Hairstyles. Hairs- yeah, so so there is like a little bit of confusion, I think, between a few of the characters. Um, I did like the the housemate. I, I thought that she was... Genuinely scary looking. And the aunt was very funny, too. And the, the aunt was very funny. But the housemate, I think, stands out the most because I don't think anybody quite looks like her. And I, I think she does the most, like, 
direct acting I with would her facial agree. expressions. I, I would say that if I had to compare her, she was probably the closest to kind of a a horror actor yeah. in the film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. You're right there. Uh, like I said, I don't have all that much to say about it, but they definitely leave it. I believe that that was actually the guy who supposedly died um, that came back later. Oh, as the doctor? Her, yes, of course. It's so weird because you see you his... think there's going to be a reveal, right? Yeah, you think there's going to be a reveal. You see his painting, and then like the psychiatrist that comes, and he's only in like one scene towards the end. It's he's like, got the nails and everything. Yeah, it's like, is that going to be the the uncle? Is that or the uncle? Or just a red herring. Right, right. And no, it... It's just it the doctor. Be. Maybe it, it could is. be. Maybe they leave it like that. Um, the one thing I was going to say is uh, the, the weird plot twist. It was kind of strange how they had it at the very end. Like, But it makes sense. It makes sense. And it mm-hmm. was fine. But it, it did get a little confusing. Like, I didn't really know who was exactly going to be the baddie. I mean, there's more than one baddie in this movie. But right. it could have been. It came down to, like, one or two people. Another thing I realized is, you know, how we, like, watch the early Hammer stuff. And they always have the kind of eccentric comedic characters. And those predate to the Universal. The real early, like, you know, Dracula or Frankenstein, you know. The two, the couple that are like stumbling around a Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. So th- this is here too. Like Captain oh, Canary yeah. has a silly um, comedic characters that are just ridiculous and over the top. So it's just like almost like the dawn of early horror. There was these kind of com- comedic characters, but I mean, it goes back to stage plays and everything like that as well, which I'm sure all these people came from. Mm-hmm. Um, the actress in this will be in a later movie. I think the Last Warning, which is two from now. I think it's the Man Who Laughs, then the Last Warning, then the Last Waltz then possibly Dracula. So we're, okay. we're moving along actually fairly fat, quicker than I thought. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some lulls where we're watching stuff that maybe not anybody knows. But uh, here's Tear on Tape by James O'Neill. It's in that book. It's not on uh, Creature Features by John Stanley. Okay. <clears throat> the out Cat of four stars. and the Canary. Out of four stars, he gives us three and a half. 1927... The granddaddy of all those creaky reading of the will in the old dark house mystery <laughs> yep. thrillers first presented on the Broadway stage in 1922. Did LaPlante is an heiress who must spend the night in an eerie old mansion in order to collect her inheritance, a condition complicated by greedy relatives and an escaped maniac known as the cat. The film is heavily burdened with often disruptive comic relief, but is visually stunning with wonderful scenes of billowing draperies, clutching claws, and wide-eyed corridor-roaming heroines. Remade in 1930 as The Cat Creeps, and again in 1939 and 1978, this is the best of the plethora of silent old house chillers. Um, I should mention the beginning, the visuals in the beginning with the uh, the old man and how they had this stuff in the background. I was like, this seems ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Like, this seems way ahead of its time. It seems almost surreal. It almost seemed uh, experimental, to be honest, and I don't know where that would initially come from. Well, and I, I would agree. Like, I feel like Phantom and Hunchback were kind of like they were shot very straightforward. I mean, this one has like just just different camera angles. Like, there's you know, all the overlays like the cats, like attacking. And an there's old definitely man. the cat motif because the guy said he was like a cat, a canary, and as this right. as like a cat hunting them, and then we have the killer who's the the cat, and all this kind of stuff here. You know, so. this one we got more like shadow play. We, we have the camera in odd positions, like a point of yeah. view under a bed, or, you know, and you're not seeing that stuff and in like hunchback or cameras, phantom. too. Yeah. R- right, well, right. Those are big epics, too. I don't, I imagine you filmed an epic different than you would an old Dark House movie. Right, right, exactly. For sure. And they were all figuring all this shit out probably at this time. You know, but I feel like. You know, even going back to like some of the Eversign stuff we watched, um, 
is is the camera is very stationary. This camera is very stationary too, but there's a lot like like scenes are shot dead on to and like trick cameras. Right. Camera where, where, where this is more we have like like the 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 pair speaking in the front while speaking and then like in the background another character doing something else. It's it's I think a bit more layered than what you get in for sure. In, in the other ones. I I did notice that. Um. I was initially going to give this a six and a half, but I'm going to give it a seven. You know, seven. and I, it's probably low for what it is, but it is. You know, it was it was very repetitive, and unfortunately, it's my it's no to no fault but my own that I've seen this done numerous times, and maybe initial viewings would help with it. I'm sure it would, and it's sometimes it's hard to get away from your your biases of things that you've seen. And I'm so sick of watching gaslighting stories. I am just tired of it. It's just it, there's a lot of great movies with gaslighting. Almost almost all the film noirs. It's just every time I watch one, it's always the same fucking thing. Especially when we even got to like 1980 and the Hammer House of Horrors when they had it. It was unbearable for me. I just it is like a shot of Nyquil for me. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it puts you to sleep. Um... And, and this one does, you know, I, like I, I'd probably give this like a three and a half. Yeah, I'm on the same. Like, I don't think there's anything necessarily that's like no. stand out in this movie. It's not bad, but you I know. think it's just one of the first like it, so it has to stand out. Right, right. It's it's like you know, and I think that's always the one that we year, run five into. Years removed. Right, like like how do we approach this? And you know, it, it's fine for what it is. Um, you know, and God knows every episode of Scooby Doo, you know, in the sixties yeah. and seventies, twenty minutes long. Mock it, right? Exactly. So, um, next week is the Man Who Laughs. I'm good. You? I'm good. Yeah, Man Who Laughs next week. All right. Comments, concerns, all that stuff. Not too many <coughs> comments here. Nick McPherson. Yeah, I was gonna say that was Franco. He's talking about the Gothic Fantastico set. <coughs> Sorry about that. I remember looking at the box set and I was like, yo, is that Django in these types of movies? Great review of the box set too. Can't wait to check it out. Video plus DVD. The mom ending of the Phantom was a reshoot. The intended ending as shot had Chaney dive a broken heart at his organ, but preview audience hated it. The sequence was shot by Edward Sidgwick. The final product, 1925, was the fourth version after various re- rewrites, reshoots. The best surviving version comes from the preserved 1929 foreign sound issue reissue for a silent showing, which includes several sound reissue sequences mixed with alternative camera angles slash take footage from 1925. Zach Nolan, my mom took me to see Creepshow in 82 when I was seven. Something that tied you over in the crate scared the absolute shit out of me. My second favorite Romero film behind Martin. Kentuckinator, I love your year-in review intros. You have a knack for weaving images and music like Scorsese or Tarantino or Don Dolder. I'll take any three of those. I love those guys. My two. I think creature features involving underwater to onto land would have been very expensive to make in the past. Special cameras in their operators lighting, diving specialists, and extra insurance, the makeup outfit, and out of water. But yeah, not many good ones. I noticed recently at the first intro to the music cue from Jaws, dun dun Done on is using the creature from the Black Lagoon just for a very short time, but it's there. Might as well known, uh, might be well known trivia, but I found it neat. Loving the 80s interviews and hope you had a nice wasteland. Thank you, Ken Coakley. I rediscovered a movie that I had watched uh, through the years and found that it's free on Amazon Prime. It's also on Paramount Plus. The movie is Burnt Offering, starring Oliver Reed, Karen Black, Betty Davis, who is my distant cousin, and a tour de force performance, Anthony James, as the creepiest show forever. First saw this when I was 11 and slept with the lights on for a month. I love offerings especially alva reed he said i also wanted to ask you if you go out during halloween season in terms of decoration no i do not although one time um since it was like the COVID times i had like my nephew 
and a bunch of my friends' kids come over and we made a haunted house in the house and decorated there and, and, and we had a bunch of costume people going through the entire house in the backyard and stuff and gravestones and stuff. So we made a haunted house for them and gave them a bunch of candy. So that's about the most I've ever done. Movie Junkie Reviews. Yeah, that version of Phantom of the Opera was different compared to the other versions, but it was okay. I saw the musical live twice in Canada as a kid. Brian Camacho. Hi, Dave. There's a movie I watched when I was young during the 90s that I have, seeking, I have trouble remembering. It was a relatively low-budget movie about a group of teenagers who had to seek shelter in a house they found. The family was accommodating and seemed to be a normal family until the teenagers discovered it was a family of undead pretending to be alive. They discovered it by uncovering tombstones with the names of the family members. Also, I remember one of the kids had sex with the mother. I also have been searching for the particular movie for all my life. I've tried many times on Google but had no luck at all. I was hoping you can come across this movie in the past. I feel like I know the movie or I, I would know it if I saw the title but I'm sorry I can't come up with it off the top of my head. I guessed, uh, you know, um, Dead Dudes in the House just off the top. Horse Cinema. I love Phantom of the Opera. I have an 8, uh, 1.5 times 11 Phantom of the Opera poster card signed by Mary Philbin. Nice. I kid. Crash is my favorite Cronenberg movie. And then this week's question of the week. That's right. I got one for you. One film that made you look deep inside yourself and question who you are. I know. Deep, right? So, uh, yeah, let's hop into that update. Okay, uh, a couple titles before I get to the Wasteland ones. Uh, Lady Frankenstein. I wanted this. Nucleus Films. Has two cuts on there. It's got a good cast. Uh, Joseph Cotton. Uh, Neary's in here. Paul Mueller. I know all them. Um, yeah, so I, I always wanted to check this out. Looks sleazy. Looks like a fun Euro kind of good time. Uh, yeah. And then next up, finally it came, Crazy Thunder Road, uh, Third Window Films, bizarre movie by the director of Burst City from 1980. I don't love it, but it's definitely interesting, and uh, I'm glad to have it to put it on the shelf. Now we're going to get into the Wasteland stuff. Now, guys, bear with me. It's not all that much. So it's not like this huge haul. I, I, I bought like five titles at max. So, yeah, it is what it is. Um, we have the House of Psychotic Women Rarities Collection here, which uh, from Severn Films, I had to have this. It has Identikit, I Like Bats, Footprints, and The Other Side of the Underneath. This set just looked too damn cool to not uh, own. And, and four Long Unseen Visions of Female Madness with 13 Hours of Special Features. The, these these kind of movies scream my name. I like all these. I, I love I love all those 70s or you know 60s, 70s, 80s movies of people just kind of like these character studies of people losing their mind. And, and I love that it's just like a box set of it too. It, it's just awesome. Very happy to have that. It was my number one thing that I wanted when I went to Wasteland, so I had to get it. Then next up, we have Cross of the Seven Jewels. This movie looked completely bonkers. Um, this is a Tetra release, which, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, I've never bought a Tetra release. So this is the first one, and I've always wanted to watch this film just because it looks so weird and bonkers. From 1987, Italy. Yeah, Cross of the Seven Jewels. Finally, I get to watch this damn thing. What are the quality? Do not know. I imagine that the I, I mean the movie's kind of low budget. Um, maybe it's not the best quality. Digging in a bag, not the best idea, Dave. So then also we have the umbrella version of Martyrs. Um, I, I love Martyrs. It's a classic movie. I mean, how much can you love Martyrs? It's so disturbing and dark, but it's also a masterpiece at the same time. The best of the French extreme movies, I think, hands down, not even comparable for me. Martyrs, great film. I did get the deluxe edition. Then we have uh, from Jorge, friend Jorge here, Hellvan, which I'll be covering soon, maybe next week. Uh, yeah, I, I know Jorge put so much work into this movie. He's been uh, plugging it on social media, and he's just put a lot of work into it. So I definitely had to support him and buy it. Um, and plus, I wanted to check it out anyway. Sounds cool. 
And then we have a couple that were gifted to me that I'll be reviewing. We have Blood, Guts, and Sunshine. It's Sean Donahue directed film, The History of Horror Made in Florida. So I'll be definitely reviewing this bad boy here. This is the cool new release. Decagog, I believe, is the... No, it's... Uh, sorry, it's... I mix up all the sub-labels. Terrorvision. So, yeah, I'll definitely cover that. It sounds cool. Sean's a great guy. And then also we have one that was given to me by Addison um, Binnick. And I, I forgot Edison's last name there. I had, to, I had to look to pronounce it. But he gave me Psychowave to cover, and I'll be covering that shortly, too, within the next couple of weeks. Low-budget, kind of fun, goofy-looking movie. Edison's always there, and he's a cool guy. We, we talked a bit. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully Psychowave's pretty damn cool. Like I said, very small haul. Not very much to show, but, hey, it is what it is. Uh, back to the video. All right, guys, thank you very much for watching. As always, have a good one. Man.